all of the muck and the unrighteousness and the brokenness of this world cannot make you less than you are, which is a person made in the image of God with that very dignity. And nothing can take that from you. This is Pastor Jeff, and I wanted to come in before just to connect real quick. You know, living in Christ is a full-time occupation. It is something that consumes us completely because it makes us who we were meant to be. It frees us from one thing, from sin and death and ourselves, so that we can be freed for another thing, which is life in Him. We're in a season right now at our church of hearing from Deuteronomy, hearing the message of how to be faithful to God in the place that we are going, how to be on this side of the river looking over into where God is taking us and how to remain faithful to the God who brought us out of Egypt, to the God who brought us out of that sin, that death, and is bringing us into the fullness of life. One of the things that Deuteronomy wants to make so clear uh, is that the image and name of God confers, it it gives dignity and worth to every human creature regardless of what they've done with their lives. That is a radical teaching. That is something that you will not find elsewhere. That no one is beyond the law and judgment of God. But also, and maybe more importantly, no one is beyond the love and redemption of God either. So I hope you hear that truth here in this message. Thanks, Cody. Um, Well, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 23 this morning, if you want to open up to that, or if you just want to slowly raise your eyes to the screen, um, either one. But while we we do those things, I wanted to just point out a couple things um, in your bulletin, the connection card. If you're new here, we would love for you to fill it out. You can just leave it in your seat, um, or there's actually a box as you walk out out the front door. There's a box to your right that you can you can slip it in there, and um, and we'll grab it. Uh, but if you're not a first or second timer, and you just want to communicate, that's there too. There are ways that you can help out. You can help with kids on Wednesdays or other times, youth. If you want to be a part of the greeting team, if you want to help serve communion, those are boxes that you can check. Uh, and there's also, you can just write stuff in. Um, we've also got prayer requests on there. Um, if there's something you didn't want to mention in the sermon or service, and, and there are there's something you'd like us to pray about, you, you can share that with us. Uh, check the box that we'll share it with the prayer line and people will be praying for it throughout the week. So those are there. I hope you use them. Um, I'm waiting for somebody to just, some people, well, a couple people have just written nice things and that's always nice to get, you know. Uh, but so far, so far, no, no intense criticism. So <laughs> that's good. That's good. All right. Deuteronomy 23. Um, And we are going to start in verse 15. All right, verse 15. He writes, You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. 
He shall dwell with you in your midst in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns, wherever it suits him. You shall not wrong him. None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. None of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow, for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may not charge a foreigner interest, or you may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it for the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God, which you have promised with your mouth. If you go to your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pick the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for bringing us here to this text, to your word. Um, may we be willing to stand under it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Moses is starting to wind down his big central sermon from chapters 12 to 26. He has kind of laid out some stuff in the beginning, really told the story of Israel. He's given us the Ten Commandments. And then in chapter 12, he starts this big arc that, that really serves as a, um, well, we'll get to that in just a second here. Uh, but he's filling out the fullness of the implications of what it means for Israel as they come into the promised land to be under especially this decalogue, these, these 10 words, these 10 commandments that we get in chapter 5. Um, and oftentimes we, we kind of skip over the stuff like this, right? My, in my translation, it has the heading miscellaneous laws, <laughs> okay? Now, if you, if you are reading through the Bible, I, I hope that your Bible has headings. It's sometimes nice to find stuff, but guess what? God didn't write the headings, okay? That stuff that the translators, that the publishers put in, um, Moses or whoever wrote Deuteronomy was not sitting down and went, well, we're getting to this part of the sermon and it's, I don't know, miscellaneous. And so he puts in the title, you know, miscellaneous. No, this, this, is, this holds together. These things hold together as one thing, but scholars don't always know what to do with them, so they put them in this, this other kind of basket. Hmm. Um, I think we need to remember that we get to this point of Moses' sermon, we get to these parts of the scriptures, and we almost, because they don't connect with us, because they don't sort of set off lights in our brains, we get to the, uh, what are the genealogies and things like that, right? And we just sort of skip through. And, and part of what is happening, I think oftentimes God is actually building us into the people that God wants us to be in these moments at these parts of the text. It's like a tree in winter, we all were getting up to winter, right? It's like today, this week, and it finally feels like it. Uh, <laughs> I know, it's, it's pumpkin spice season right now. But, <laughs> um, but we're finally kind of getting to where it's cold, and, and the trees are going to drop their leaves, and, and they're going to start to look like they're dead. But the truth is, is that they're still growing. They're still doing important tree work, even in the winter, right? Even when it looks like all this stuff is still on the surface, whether they're growing their roots down or getting healthy inside, they're still doing what they're meant to do. When we get to these parts of the text, we need to remember that God is still deepening and establishing us in the faith. 
Because that's what Deuteronomy is. We think of Deuteronomy as the law, right, as the instruction, but Deuteronomy is really an evangelistic text. It is. It's a text in which Moses is looking at his people. He knows that they are going to be going into a place surrounded by a people who are not like them. And so he preaches the law to them again. For the most part, these are repetitions. This is the law that they've already seen and heard, lived by or not lived by, been judged for in the wilderness. But as they come into the promised land, Moses is there to say, look, we have got to go over this again. I've got to get this down into your hearts for two reasons. One, you're hard-hearted. And you didn't want it the first time. And you ignored it the first time. Right? Because you ignored the law the first time, there's the second reason it hasn't transformed you so that you're ready to take it into a new context, so that you're ready to take it into a new place. It reminds me of the importance of teaching. That if you're a teacher here, right, if you teach a Sunday school class, if you teach something on Wednesday nights, if you teach a Bible study, that is not a light and easy task. I know we don't pay you, <laughs> but you know what? That is a huge responsibility. Not only to take the text seriously, but to enable the people whom you are teaching to receive and be formed in the faith. We're not just trying to fill time. Right? If all that's happening on Tuesday mornings with the women's Bible study or Wednesday night with the youth or the kids or the adults, I mean, if all that's happening is we just need to have an activity to put on the website so people look at it and go, boy, there's some stuff really happening there at Cordova. No, like, well, just cancel it. No, when you teach, you're doing something important. You're forming the people who are there around that table into the kind of people that God would have them to be. And that actually is a form of evangelism. It's a form of spreading the good news. Whether the good news goes out or whether the good news goes down and deep, we are spreading the good news as we engage Scripture. And so Moses here in these portions, we don't, we don't get a lot of like fancy worshipy type of law in Deuteronomy, right? You go to Exodus and Leviticus for that. They tell you how long the priest's robe should be and what color all the stones and how the temple needs to be built and the tabernacle. All that's kind of in another book. Deuteronomy is really concerned less with this question of how to love the Lord your God, although they are, but also and more especially how to love your neighbor as yourself. Because what Moses knows and what Deuteronomy knows and what Israel's going to find out is that if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, then you're not really loving God. And it's rooted in this commandment that we're going to talk about today. You may have noticed that most of these weeks we're talking about one of the commandments, one of the ten words. Uh, last week, you know, do not commit adultery. We kind of talked about how that walks out in people's lives. Uh, we've had do not murder, remember the Sabbath day, all those kinds of things. We have worked out the implications of those commands. It's like you get the boom, the kind of the big heavy book hitting the table, the command there in chapter 5, and then it's, well, what does that actually mean for my daily life? What do you mean do not murder? What if I really, really want to? Like, <laughs> you know? 
and, and God has to kind of come in and say, oh, what if I accidentally kill somebody? How are we going to? So God has to come in and, and, and work all of that stuff out. And today we're going to be working out one of those commandments. And, and you, might, you might think that it's, you know, do not steal and do not covet because these commands have a lot to do with possessions and property. But I think there's actually another one that's hanging out in the background. Again, my translation calls these miscellaneous, and I, I think it's obvious that they're not. Um, they fit together. The, the, the five commandments that Moses gives us here, uh, how to treat the foreign runaway slave, right? The, the slave that he talks about in verse 15 is probably one who has left a neighboring country and has run into Israel's space and goes, I'm here. <laughs> like, I crossed the border. I'm safe. <laughs> Right? It's a asylum seeker. Not to, okay. Uh, not to, you know, step on, we'll see here how that goes. Uh, but it, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a foreign runaway slave. It's somebody who's running out of captivity and out of a bad, life-threatening situation into the land of Israel. And what does God say? You let him live wherever he wants to live. You don't take advantage of him or her and make them into a slave just because they're vulnerable. Just because there's somebody who doesn't have social standing among you, they are to enjoy the blessings of being in the people of God, being among the people of God. The second, cultic prostitution in the temple or the tabernacle. He just says, look, everyone around you is worshiping with cult prostitutes. Just a part of how worship happened in that part of the world in that time. God says, don't do it, right? Don't have male prostitutes. Don't have female prostitutes. Don't bring the fear of a prostitute into that. Just don't. That's not a part of Israelite worship, period. The third is a prohibition against usury or interest. The fourth is the value of a spoken vow. Do what you say you will do. The fifth, hospitable management of fields. Um, and, and all five of these laws kind of reorient us. For a lot of us... Um, we kind of look at those laws and we look at a lot of laws in our day and we look at scripture and we look at theology and we look at what we believe and we like to take those things and then abstract them out into principles, right? We say, yes, I worship an all-powerful God. And so what we end up worshiping is power and not God. Or we say, I worship a God who is love and who is all-loving and so we end up worshiping love and not God. Or, or maybe we're, well, yeah, maybe... Yeah, anyway, <laughs> I mean, we can go all kinds of places with that. And those things, power, love, rest, all the kinds of things that the Ten Commandments talk about are good things in and of themselves. But once they become untethered from the story, once it becomes a principle that is abstracted out of the actual story of Scripture, the history of Jesus Christ born ministering, crucified, buried, and risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. If you take those good things out of that story, they are no longer what God has promised us. They are no longer what God has brought us Amen. to. Right? We end up worshiping creation instead. These commands connect us if you haven't guessed it yet. The command they connect us to is the third command. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 
In each case, the runaway slave, cultic prostitution, usury, vows, taking care of your property in a way that is generous. In each case, the people of God are to imitate and represent to the world and to each other the God who creates out of this overflowing, the fancy word is self-donation, right? That he gives himself in a way that doesn't ask for anything back, or rather in a way that could not ever be paid back. That when God creates the world, when God creates you, when God creates me, and God creates us, as well as just the matter and the physical stuff in the universe, God is pouring himself out always. Yes, back in the moment of creation, but always even now that each breath that we take is a gift that God has given us, even in this place that none of us exist on our own. None of us have the ability to create life or to sustain life. None of us, none of our families, none of our nations, nobody in this world, no power in this world has the ability to make and keep life going. All we can do is manage the stuff that's already there. And God continually gives and creates. And as we receive that gift of just being, as we receive that gift, God also calls us into response. That God doesn't just place his name and his image in me, but God places his name and his image in you. And so I've got to interact with you, and I've got to care about you in a way that recognizes that in you there is a dignity that I cannot erase, and that no one else can erase, no matter how hard we try. That there is something in you that, can, that is of God that cannot be scrubbed out. By anything. And so we don't exploit people simply because we can, right? We don't take from people just because we can. We don't exploit bodies financially, physically, sexually, just because it's accepted practice. But we recognize and we proclaim that in each person, the name and the image of God exists and cannot be erased. So I want to focus on two of the commands, the third and the fifth here. The third one that, that Moses gives us is this command of usury. Um, the fifth is about how you manage your fields. Um, and this commandment about interest and usury, kind of usury is this word that means like you're taking way too much interest from someone on a loan right? And it's what Moses is talking about when he says, uh, you shall not charge interest on your loans to your brother, interest on money, food, anything that's lent for interest. But if you give a loan to somebody, you don't get to ask for more back. It's a loan. You're not generous if you're asking for more back, right? There's no kind of generosity there. And if you look throughout history, it's actually pretty recent that we've been okay asking for interest on loans. Uh, Christians have always been sort of uncomfortable with this, especially Christians in power, right? Because <laughs> if you got the money to loan, it's like, well, let's put this to work. Let's find a way to make this make some money for me, right? And so Christians have always 
found themselves focusing on the exception in this rule, which is that you may loan money on interest, but just not to your brother, right? You can do it to a foreigner, you can do it to somebody who's outside of your sort of social context. And the way that there was a time when, when biblical scholars and theologians actually had some political authority, and when they did, they would say, well, it's fine in the Middle Ages, for example, if you're a Catholic, which just meant Christian, there was only one church, um, if you're a Catholic, you can loan money on interest to someone who's outside of your religion, which in their world basically just meant Jews, right? Those were the only, only real two groups. And Jews could loan money on interest to Catholics, and it was kind of this back and forth, and everybody's following the law, right? And, and that didn't start to break down until the early, until a few hundred years after that, the early modern period. And I think that's telling, because Christians have always assumed that charging large amounts of interest was a sinful way to get wealth. And I know it's just assumed everywhere in our world, it is, but we've always made, that's a new kind of thing that has changed in us. We've always assumed that big amounts of interest were this sinful way to get wealth. And the reason is it was founded on the assumption that to charge large amounts of interest was to oppress somebody who is in need. Somebody's coming to you for a loan because they're in need, because they can't survive otherwise, because the crop has failed. And because the crop has failed, I've got to go to somebody who can help me out, and they're going to ask me then for double the crop next year? And so you see this cycle of debt start to take place. And Christians putting fellow Christians in these essentially what amounted to economic slavery, or Israelites putting each other in situations that amount to economic slavery. I mean, let's say you're a farmer. There's a drought in your land and you're in dire straits. Remember, the place that Israel is going, they don't have big rivers. They depend on the rain. So you go to the rich guy down the street and you take a loan out because what other option do you have? You're depending on that harvest. But if that harvest doesn't come the way that it should, or if there's a raid by the Assyrians and they come in and wipe out your crop, now you're in debt to that person. And before long, they're taking your children and putting them to work to pay off your debt. And that's not going to last all that long because now you can't work the field that you need to work because your children are no longer there. And so pretty soon they come and they take you and they put you to work to pay off your debt. And now it's Israelites enslaving each other. And that was the case across Christian Europe. That was the case across the world. Having wealth became an opportunity for people to use that wealth to make more and more, which is not in itself sinful, but at the expense of their brother, at the expense of their neighbor, at the expense of their sister. And so the lender has seen the poor as an opportunity to possess and control more. Not as the image of God, not one in whom I approach the creator of all things, but they've treated this other person who God has brought my way as an opportunity to exploit. Um, quick story from um, Dave Ramsey's radio show. <laughs> couple years back, 2016, this woman, Natalia, calls from Nashville. And she was 
you know, like a lot of us, 21, she made around 22,000. I don't know if you ever listen to Dave Ramsey's radio show, he asks you all these details. So, right, how much do you make a year? 22,000. Um, she lives with her dad. She doesn't pay rent. She drives the car that he gave her, all that kind of stuff. And again, she's 21. She's not good with money, right? How many of us were good with money at 21? Josh is raising his hand. He was good with it. That's good. What happened, Josh? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? And so she ends up with like $5,000 in payday loans. She goes to a payday lender. And, and the thing is, is that if you don't know, you don't know. And so people end up in these places taking loans that they shouldn't take, not knowing what the implications are going to be. And this is Dave's response. First, we need to be real clear to, and I'm quoting, we need to be real clear to understand payday loans, payday loan people are legalized loan sharks. They're going to come after you because they are in the business of ripping off broke people. And guess what? Broke people oftentimes don't pay them, so they have a real system for coming for your throat, as you've, as you've already noticed, right? And what he's saying, and what we don't say enough, is that these folks are among the people who the prophets talk about when they condemn the wealthy in their paneled houses. Read Ezekiel 18. Read Amos 4. Read Micah 2. Read Psalm 15 and 82 and 146 that we read this morning. God is on the side of the poor. God is on the side of those who are oppressed and not on the side of those who do the oppressing. God is on the side of the exploited and not those who do the exploiting. These are people who eat up the poor, forcing them into homelessness, into destitution, into poverty, and who use their desperation as an opportunity to make wealth. And there are more payday loan places in our country than there are McDonald's and Starbucks combined. With an average interest rate of 400%. Average. That's not the high mark. It's exploitation. It's extortion. But even lighter forms of usury exist in our world. Credit cards are regularly 15, 20, 25% do the same thing. Now, the way money works in our world is a little bit different than it worked in ancient Israel, right? We grow our economy in, you know, 2 or 3% a year if things are going good. And so if you're going to get back the very principal on your loan, you've got to charge a slight, tiny amount of interest, right, just to get back what you gave in the first place. But beyond that, you're talking about trying to make something grow that is not itself alive, <laughs> And there are more credibly Christian options, I think, than the way that we do this in our world. There will be judgment for those of us that abuse the image of God in our fellow human, even if it's legal, even if it's accepted practice. Because the agreement that we have often come to as a nation and as an economic system is that we can treat everyone as though they're not really a brother, we can treat everyone as though they're not really a sister. They're not really fully human. They're a kind of a fellow citizen, but that just means that they're a stranger to us. They're not somebody in whose future I am invested. 
Do you see the difference? That when every person who's willing to enter into an exploitative relationship with us is legally allowed to do so, what it mean, whether it's financial or not, what it means is that I'm, it's okay for me to treat somebody who I live with in this society and in this culture, in this body, as someone who's not like me and whose future does not depend on my future and on, well, yeah, and the other way around. And I know we look at it and we go, well, they shouldn't have taken the loan in the first place, right? And yes, there's responsibility on the one who goes to take the loan. But if you offer a financial product that you know is exploitative, you bear responsibility for your damaged sister or brother. The Gospels in the New Testament don't make it any easier on us. Jesus takes that denarius in the Mark passage. He says, whose image is on it, right? What do the, they say? Well, Caesar's image, right? King, just like we got George Washington and whoever stamped on our money. And says, fine, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. If Caesar wants it, he can have it. But whose image is stamped on you? God's image, right? You have God's image stamped on you, and so does your neighbor. You know how many payday loan places there are in Folsom? One. You know how many there are in the North Highlands? Eleven. South Sac and Meadowview, 20. This is not equitable, right? This is a way, in Dave Ramsey's words, that they are in the business of ripping off broke people. They have a real system of coming for your throat. I'm probably not supposed to talk about stuff like this. <laughs> I was reminded recently that I... Uh, Jim Mansfield was telling a little bit of stories about his growing up. He was at men's breakfast. He was giving some of his testimony. He talked about growing up in McEwen, Kansas, out on the east side of Kansas. And he was going to the Methodist church at the time. And they wanted to have a movie theater move into town. But they couldn't because there were three churches. And the Nazarenes <laughs> always stood against it, right? <laughs> the Nazarenes would not okay this movie theater coming in and messing up their nice town. Uh, and, you know, that we've always kind of been in the business of recognizing, for good or for ill, sometimes we're wrong about the thing that we're upset about, like maybe some movie theaters, some aren't so great, uh, but we've always sort of been in the business of recognizing that God wants to have something to say about our lives and the way that we treat one another, that it doesn't stop when we kind of say praise Jesus and receive the sacrament and walk out the front door, that it matters for our actual day-to-day -day lives, that we not treat each other in a way that breaks each other down. Addiction and the exploitation of beloved images of God do the same thing. They compromise our ability to reflect the name of God in each one of us. All right, moving on. Moses gives his people this one more understanding. How are they to deal with, they're walking through the world, their brother has a vineyard, their brother has a, our neighbor has like a, you know, a wheat field. Are they allowed to go eat it? Right? He says, yes, if you can pick it in your hand, it's fine. But what does he say? Don't put it in your bag. Right? You can sit in your neighbor's field and eat all the grapes you want. You can grab a handful of wheat and rub it out and kind of take a handful. That's fine. I've done that in some of your houses, a tomato and a peach or whatever it is. It's a pretty intuitive rule. It's like, okay, 
but I'm not going to your house and like filling up bags full of peaches that I've been going to take to the farmer's market to sell and make a profit off of, right? No, and this is what Moses is saying is, look, and remember, this isn't a day when people travel and they don't have granola bars and they don't have, they don't have uh, you know, Starbucks that they can pull off the highway and, and sort of refuel at or whatever. If you're walking through the land, you can't carry enough food. So there's places where you can pull over figuratively, grab a bite to eat, and keep on walking. Where I think this is really, too, is to the landowner who wants to run somebody out of their field because, hey, how dare you eat my grapes? How dare you take a handful of grain? And what's he saying? I think what God is saying through Moses is that in our sort of intent to be um, careful about our possessions, we can often become miserly, stingy, and by being quote-unquote serious about our property rights, we end up stealing from our neighbor and ultimately stealing from God who gave us the property in the first place. Did you hear what Paul says? He's talking to a church that's dragging each other to court. And he says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Why not prioritize the unity of the church and, and the well-being of your neighbor over your own well-being? I mean, you own a field, right? <laughs> why not rather be stolen from and use that as a motivation to pray for the thief? I know that your stuff is important. I know that your lawn matters. I know that the things in your garage are yours and they should be yours, but why treat all of that as though it is you when really it's something that God has given to you in order to bless others, in order to proclaim his goodness in the world? We're so protective of our stuff and our belongings and our wealth that it often shuts us off to the very grace that God is seeking to pour out into our lives. We believe sometimes that if I'm wronged, if I don't get everything I deserve, then I am less. But friends, the image of God, the dignity of the name of God that you have in you by being a bearer of that name, it can get smudged and it can get muddied up and it can get a little twisted you know, I always just imagine a mirror that's got all kinds of gunk and junk on it. But it can't stop being a mirror. It can't stop being the reflective thing that God has made it. All of the muck and the unrighteousness and the brokenness of this world cannot make you less than you are, which is a person made in the image of God with that very dignity. And nothing can take that from you. Paul says it again, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. When we submit ourselves to baptism, when we submit ourselves to the cleansing and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, we are no longer that muddied, broken picture. We are instead a bearer of that divine dignity.
by God's grace, we are made new. So let us find, as the church, let us find creative ways to live in this world that do not exploit our neighbor. Let's think and struggle and figure something out so we don't, in order to build wealth, we don't have to break others. I know that God can do it. I know that he can do it among us. I know he can do it through us. Let me pray. Lord God, I don't know the answers to all these questions. I don't know how to do it, and I feel as trapped by the system as anybody. But I also know, Lord, that you are a God who made salvation out of a crucified peasant. That you took the very womb of Mary, not because she was perfect, but because she said yes. And you use that womb to bring forth a savior who brought salvation, not by conquering over Rome, but by submitting to it even unto death, breaking its power on the cross and in the empty tomb. Lord, may we be a people who submit to those things that are difficult, ultimately knowing, Father, that we are trying and learning to submit to you. May we, like Mary, most of all, Lord, like your son, say yes. wrap up here and um, just leave you with a challenge today. Um, you know, how is it that you need to be catechized? How is it that you need to be evangelized, that there is still an unconverted part of your heart and of your, um, of your being? Where is it that God is calling you forward to go deeper? Are there places in the way that you view your neighbor, in the way that you treat those who are close by, maybe in the way that you view our society um, that is not transformed, that is not submitted to God, but is, is acting um, independently of Him and trying to submit um, some other power or hope other than the hope we have in Christ. I hope that this morning you are convicted um, to make a change in that place, to bring yourself fully before Christ. It's been so good to be with you. Hope we see you Sunday. God bless.